You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, episode number 32. Today we are talking with Bronwyn from the East Coast and how she had a VBAC with a classical scar. You are not going to want to miss this. She has got lots of awesome information. But first, Megan's going to take us to the review of the week. Definitely. I really can't wait for this episode. I'm loving this special scar episodes coming through the woodworks. Women, it is okay to educate yourself and really, really figure out what's the best for you. So we have our review of the week, and this is from Brittany Grosbich, I believe is how you say her name. Sorry, Brittany, if I totally just botched your name. But I love her review. It says, this podcast is absolutely changing my life. My home birth turned cesarean and to an ICU stay and has left her in a place where she needs to hear all these stories. You guys, you, as you share your stories and as you're listening, we hope that they are inspiring you and they are changing things for you. If they are, would you just do us a solid and leave us a review? Whether that be on iTunes or Facebook or wherever you listen, we love your reviews and we appreciate them so much. Thank you so much, Brittany, and we're so glad to hear that these stories are helping you. Yes, thank you so much for that review. It really means the world to us. We are so excited to be here today and hear Bronwyn's story, but before we get into it, I wanted to remind you guys of something. Did you know we have a VBAC shop? Right now, we just have our VBAC Essentials Guide for you to actually purchase. But if you go to our shop, we have lots of freebies there for you to use. We have a I Am a Woman of Strength printable affirmation that you can print out and hang in your birth space and be reminded of how strong you are and how we believe in you and can't wait to hear the story of your VBAC. Also, I recently added a bunch of informational shareable images that you can download for your Instagram or your Facebook pages, your personal pages, or your business pages that you can upload there. Tag us if you want. We would love to see you using them and share them. It's quick, it's easy, it's seamless, and it increases the awareness that VBAC is a real option for women. And and Megan, I mean, that's kind of what what why we're doing this in the first place is because women just don't know that there are options and they don't know how to find the right information, right? Right. And we, we really do. We think all these freebies and everything that we're offering is truly going to offer you the best support, education, facts, so then you can take that along your journey and create the best experience possible. Yep. Exactly. So to visit that page, thevbacklink.com slash shop, Scroll down, you'll find the freebies. Super easy to download. And like I said, tag us at the VBAC link. We're that way on Facebook and on Instagram. So let us know and let us know how you how you like them. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. 
Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Good morning, women of strength. Happy Wednesday. I am so excited about our guest today. Her name is Bronwyn, and she actually is the moderator and runs the website Special Scars, Special Hope for women with with special scars that are that are trying to be back. And she has got a wealth of knowledge and information here, and I cannot wait for her to share the story. But first, I want to tell you, we got a message, an Instagram message the other day from a friend of ours who had just had her VBAC not too long ago, and she told us that an affirmation that she kept repeating through her head during her VBAC was, I am a woman of strength. I am a woman of strength. And I thought that was so amazing. I was like, yes, she is so right. She's a woman of strength. You guys are all women of strength. And whether you are ever had a baby, whether you're on your fifth baby or your tenth baby, or whether you're well outside of those childbearing years, you are a strong woman. And I believe in that. And, and Megan does too, I know. And we just see it all the time. And I just wanted to remind you of that in case you had forgotten, you are a woman of strength. And if you can't believe that just yet, let us believe that for you because we definitely do. Yes, I would totally agree with Julie. Seriously, you guys, we are stronger than our minds even can process. We truly are. So believe in yourself and you guys hold on to your seats because this mama, she has been through it all. We are so excited to hear this story. Oh my gosh, yes, she really has been through it all. I'm just going to give you a little rundown, but I'm not going to try and tell her whole story for her. But her C-section was actually with her third baby. And she had a classical scar, which means it goes like it's vertical, right up and down the top of her uterus. So it's not the low transverse bikini cut like most women get. And guys, she had a V-back for her fourth baby and a V-back for her fifth baby. And with her fifth baby came two months after her dad passed away and later she found out she had Lyme disease, mono, and West Nile virus all while she was pregnant. You guys, this is insane. And if if you haven't ever met a woman of strength before, we are going to share a story of one right now. Bronwyn, let's go ahead and, and turn it over to you. Okay. Oh, I don't know what to say after all of that. That just about sums it all up. <laughs> um, well, uh, for one thing, my classical scar actually doesn't go all the way to the top, and most of the ones that I've run across since then don't. The original yeah. classical scars did, like the ones that they started with 100 years ago, and I think we need a new name. The classical scars that we're seeing today are mid to low, and mine is actually mostly in the lower uterine segment, but it is vertical. Yeah. So, yeah, when you look at all of the special scars, all of them have a descriptive name, like an inverted T. You can picture what that looks like. A J scar, you can picture what that looks like. What is the shape of a classical? So we need a new name for it because it I doesn't agree. Even look like what it did 100 years ago. Let's champion um, a new name. But we're going to get together after this, and we're going to figure one out. <laughs> yeah, it's on my longer-term to-do list to broach that subject with people that we can start doing that in the literature. But my surgical report does say I have a classical scar. So... That's what we go with. So yeah, I have, I just gave you the, the quick and dirty of my kids. Uh, I think I'll just do that as a quick rundown. Um, my fifth baby 
Well, he was my fifth baby. He was my fourth vaginal birth. He was my third unmedicated birth. He was my second VBAC, and he was my first home birth. So that is the range of experiences that I've had in, among my five kids. And I started out, I wanted a natural birth. I, wanted, I actually wanted to do an out-of-hospital birth. Not quite a home birth. I wasn't quite there yet. And we were students. We were living in temporary housing. I didn't feel like home birth was quite where we should be. But I did want to do a birth center, and I let people talk me out of that. So instead, we went with a very standard OB care hospital birth. And it was just your very standard drive-through variety. You know, you want Pitocin and Demerol with an epidural to go. You want an episiotomy with that? Like, it was just awful. I did not get, I did not get informed care, informed consent. I did not get evidence-based care. I got very bad medical advice about breastfeeding and that, completely sabotaged our relationship. So I came out of that saying, something has to be different. And in between my first and second babies, we moved across the country. So that was one thing that helped to change that. And I, uh, I had midwifery care for my second pregnancy. And that did go much, much better. There was uh, a lot of things that I liked. I felt like it was much more personal. And then when I went into labor, oh, by the way, both of my first two kids were born on their due dates spontaneously. Wow. That's just okay. Yeah. Which is dangerous. It's a dangerous precedent to set, let me tell you. Oh, my gosh. It sure you really is. Have, <laughs> you really have a hard time shaking that kind of a pattern in your head. But my, my second baby came, and uh, we went to the hospital, and... I wasn't progressing after an hour, and they said, well, you can stay or you can go home. And I kind of looked and said, hmm, I think I'll go home, thanks. And went home, and I labored by myself through the night, which I loved. I loved being by myself. But it was during a snowstorm, and it was really, really cold, and I couldn't stay warm. So after a few hours of that, we went back to the hospital, and my midwife wasn't there yet, even though I had just talked to her on the phone, and she knew I was in transition. And the labor nurse ended up catching my daughter. So Whoa! I was only there for about half an hour before she was born. Holy smoke. That is crazy. <laughs> and she was, she was almost born on the call, too, which I thought was really cool. So I was disappointed that my midwife wasn't there, but, you know, overall I just said, wow. Like, I wish I could bottle and, and save that feeling. That is just amazing. It cures what ails you, that birth high. Um, it sure does. Yeah, it was, I wished everyone could start parenthood with that feeling, and it's what I wish I could have had the first time. And as time went on, I kind of looked at it and said, well, what did the hospital do for us? It was kind of a formality that we had the birth there. I mean, they didn't give us any assistance. It just happened. And so that's when I started really looking into home birth. And we planned to have a home birth with our third baby. I had an early miscarriage first, and then I just was feeling very desperate to get pregnant. I was wondering if this was going to happen, but I was so excited for the experience. And you know how you're in the moment, and everything feels like it's going to take forever. And then you look back, and you're like, it was only a month. Why would A month doesn't make that much difference. But at the time, it felt so, you know, so all-encompassing. So I got pregnant right after that miscarriage, and I 
found a home birth midwife, and at the time they were underground where I am. So I kind of had to know, I had to, I had to know who to talk to, but I did, and I did dual care with that pregnancy, which ended up being kind of a good thing because I had a lot of bleeding first trimester, and I'd had some spotting with my first two pregnancies, so I didn't really worry about it too much, but it resolved the first two times, and this time it didn't, and it actually kept getting heavier, and we couldn't figure out why. I did end up going in for ultrasounds, and we could not see where the blood was coming from, and it got worse. Eventually, at 25 weeks, my waters broke, and that means hospital bed rest. So I went from planning a home birth to now I'm in the hospital at 25 weeks, separated from my family. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when this baby is coming. Um, and that I ended up so going into it. was scary. It was sad. It was traumatizing. It was all of those things rolled into one. And I ended up going into labor at 26 weeks and four days. Actually, I, I didn't go to the hospital right away, and it was like 25 weeks and five days or something like that. So I only spent a couple days in the hospital before I went into labor. But it was, it was weird because being in labor, it was like all of a sudden everyone knew, oh, your placenta is abrupting. It's like where was this information a few weeks ago? But now all of a sudden it was we have to do a C-section. And by the way, you have no lower uterine segment at this stage in your pregnancy. There's no room to do a low transverse incision. We need to do a classical. So, by the way, that means you don't get to do a vaginal birth ever again. So it's like all of this was so different than anything I'd pictured. I'm having a very early preemie who the mortality rates at that stage are very high. I mean, I am not exaggerating when I say that was the worst day of my life. So I didn't know what was going to happen with him. I did, they did not uh, put me under general for that. I was awake for it. And so I heard that I heard when they pulled him out and he actually came out and he cried, which at that stage of gestation, that's pretty remarkable. Mm. Um, and then they took him right off to the NICU and he spent 99 days there. Wow. That was most of his, um, that, was, that was most of what would have been our third trimester. And I went through all the stages of grief, and I recognized it at the time. I looked at it, and I was like, can we just plan and have a prenatal visit as if I'm still pregnant? Like, I missed my midwives. I missed the, I missed the planning and the looking forward to things. And it's like, no, this is our reality. Our reality is we're going to the NICU every day, and we're wondering what the what this child's life is going to be like. Uh, spoiler alert, he's 10 years old now, and he's doing wonderfully. So <laughs> that all worked out okay, but at the time it was very scary, very unknown. And also I had to grapple with what does this mean for our future family plans because we weren't planning to be done at three. In my mind, I wanted five or six. Mm-hmm. And... The surgeon told me that he went as low as he could go on my uterus. He went all the way down to my cervix, but he still didn't recommend that I ever labor again. And then I got my surgical report, and it said I had, you know, it said it was a classical scar. It said they triple-stitched it. 
you know, most people wonder if they have single or double layer suturing. I have triple. So that's well, another way in which I'm a little different. But I had to... I had to figure out if anyone had ever done this before. And obviously they had because the original V-backs, a lot of them had, had classical scars, so someone must have done it. I got in touch with ICANN very soon after having my, my baby, and we have a local chapter here that's very active, and they were very supportive, and I was really, I was really lucky to fall in with them because that was exactly what I needed at the time. I needed face-to-face -face people who had understood what it felt like. And then I started looking online for V-backs with my scar, and I found the Special Scars group, which at the time, it was just a Yahoo group. It wasn't a website. It wasn't a nonprofit organization yet. It was just a little Yahoo group. This was back in like 2009, 2010 maybe. And I got in touch with a, with a lot of these women who had walked that path before, and I was so excited to connect with them. And I got pregnant again when my preemie was two, and I immediately started looking around for VBAC support. And there were some changes to the midwifery laws in my state that year, and they were changes for the better in general. They uh, allowed midwives to be independent practitioners. They didn't have to have a written practice agreement with a doctor. So all of a sudden, all those underground midwives were now advertising openly, and they were out, uh, out in the open. But I asked every midwife in a two-hour radius, and they all said, they all said no. Most of them said, you know, personally, I think you're going to be fine. Professionally, this is career suicide. Oh my gosh. And I, I understand why. I think the law changing at that time had a lot to do with it, where they felt like they were under scrutiny. Yeah. And then a bunch of them also said that they would be willing to come to the hospital with me and act as doula slash monitories or bodyguard, however you want to look at it. And so that's what I ended up doing. But it still took a while to find an OB who, who would be okay with it. And I didn't ever find, you know, full-on support. The OB that I found said, officially I have to recommend another C-section, but I'm not going to say no. And that was the best I could hope for. And so that's what we, that's what we planned. Um, it was overall, though, physically a pretty easy pregnancy. It was the first time I hadn't bled at all. Uh, and then I got to the 20-week ultrasound, and they thought they saw signs of accreta. Oh, no. Yeah. I completely lost composure in the ultrasound room. I knew exactly what it meant. It was on my top three list of worries for getting pregnant again because I felt like maybe I was at a higher risk given where my scar was. Mm -hmm. I don't have any research to back that up. It's just It was just something that was on my mind. So that was a worry for the rest of the pregnancy. Later on, though, I did have another ultrasound, and they said the placenta had moved up, and it was probably off my scar, but, you know, they couldn't really guarantee. But we were still, I mean, they, at that point, we were like, okay, we can still plan for a VBAC. So that was our plans. That ended up being my longest pregnancy. I went to 40 plus 3, but I kind of say that labor started on my due date anyway. I had three days of prodromal labor, three or four days. However you count days. 
Um, <laughs> and on that last day, on that last day, I let the OB break my water, and the baby was born three and a half hours later. And uh, I did bring one of the home birth midwives with me, and she was very helpful in guarding the door. <laughs> and good for her. It so that, <laughs> oh yeah, she is very capable of doing things like that. Yeah, we just didn't want a parade of people coming in and saying, what do you think you're doing here? Would, why, are you, why do you think this is okay? And for the most part, the people who were not supportive stayed away. And that's Good. exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I ended up getting a nurse who was training to be a home birth midwife too. So like, she was completely on board with our plans and everything. And the OB was there at the very beginning, and he came in at the very end to catch the baby, and that's the only time that he was there too. So... It worked out as well as it could have. There was, one, there was one funny part, though. I was fully expecting a really long labor because that's what my first two babies had been. And three hours in, I'm, like, moaning and I'm totally vocalizing. And I look at my midwife and I'm like, is it okay if I say I don't want to do this all night long? And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. And then when the nurse came back in, she's like, she doesn't want to do this all night long. And they start getting stuff ready. Like they were recognizing the signs. And yep. I didn't pick up on the fact that I was in transition, right? Um, <laughs> you never do. I never do. And so like my body starts pushing. And like, is that a push? Really? And then this resident walks in. It's a teaching hospital. So this resident walks in. And she's like, okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to check you and make sure you're at 10 centimeters so you don't swell your cervix. And like, if I weren't pushing a baby out right then, I would have been like, okay, great. You read your OB textbook. I'm pushing a baby out. I think I'm 10 <laughs> centimeters, okay? But the funny part was my midwife is sitting at the foot of my bed and she wouldn't move. Like she wouldn't let the resident in. And then like the resident got called away. And Obi walked in, catches my baby, who had one loop of cord around her neck, but that was, like, as big a deal as anything was. And the placenta came right out. It behaved itself perfectly. And so I, again, had that beautiful birth high and said, I wish I could just hang on to this feeling forever. But uh, my midwife had hospital privileges at a different hospital. So later that day, she went to that hospital, and she said, the nurses looked at her and they're like, we heard what you did. <laughs> we heard you wouldn't move for that resident. We heard that you, like, my birth was the talk of the town that day. Nice. So I kind of feel like, yes, I would have loved to have a home birth with her, but maybe there were reasons that that birth needed to be in a hospital beyond what me or my baby needed. I think a lot of people learned things that day. Mm-hmm. So, Sounds like it. That, so that was great. Um, and I got more involved with special scars after that. I became their statistician. Crunched all the numbers, kept all the stats. And then I got pregnant with my fifth baby. And by this point, it had been a few years. Politically, things had calmed down a little bit. And I went back to that mid- same midwife. And I'm like, so can we do this at home? She's like, sure. So that was our plan. And we went forward with that. I felt so sick throughout the pregnancy, though. And then, like you said, my dad died when I was 28 weeks. So Mm. that involved traveling to be with my family and to go to the funeral and everything. And I think even if I had been fully and completely healthy, that would have been draining. Yeah. But it was, it felt like it wiped me out. So, yeah. 
So it was it was devastating. It's really sad. But um, I kind of felt like, okay, Dad, you have a little bit of time with your grandson before he comes down. You two spend some time together, all right? And then two and a half months later, I woke up at about... I woke up and I saw the sunrise, so I'm thinking it must have been 6.30 or something like that when I started contracting. This was the day before my due date. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, my last active labor was three and a half hours long, so maybe this one will be quick too. I sent all my kids off to school. I'm like, by the time they get home, they'll have a little brother. It'll be great. Well, he wasn't born until 9 p.m. that night. It was a beautiful day. I spent most of it outside, uh, most of the day, early afternoon outside. I took a walk in the woods. We spent some time on the back deck. We were just chatting while I was laboring. And then the kids came home from school, and they were they were excited for like five minutes, and then I got bored because <laughs> labor can get long, and they <laughs> weren't really into it. Uh, my older daughter, though, I think she has a future as a doula. Like, she was all over it. She's like, she was... She was very nurturing, and it was it was great. And I oh, had a friend so taking sweet. pictures, and so we have some great pictures of that. But but again, it couldn't last forever. She had to go. She had to get bored too. And I remember the sun going down at like seven thirty, and I was just staring out the window in despair, thinking, "I watched that sun come up, and I am still at it. This is so not fair." And once again, feeling like is it okay if I don't do this, if I don't want to do this all night long? And transition was so much harder this time. And I didn't find out until later why why that was happening. Um, I actually had my midwife help back my cervix for the last couple of contractions, which was like the most painful thing. It was more yeah. painful than any of the other contractions going on to the point where I'm like, I yelled at her to stop. And she said, uh, that's your baby. And Sure enough, he was finally descending. He was coming down. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to blast this kid out. It's been so long. I am ready. And she's like, no, slow down, breathe, sing, do whatever you need to do. You are not going to tear. I'm like, I don't care. I just want him out. <laughs> but um, I did slow down. I had just that much self-control left. So uh, the head came out and... I heard her say that there was a cord, but um, she tried to get it off and she couldn't, so he was just born the rest of the way. I don't know if he kind of did a somersault over the rest of it or if there was enough room, but he came out and I heard everyone in the room go, one, two, three, four, because that's how many times they unwrapped him. Whoa, that's crazy. So my midwife had been practicing for 30 years, and she said she'd never seen four wraps, yeah. four times around the neck. <laughs> that's so a long that's cord. What was, it was, yeah, it was a 29-inch long cord. Wow. And that's, that's what was slowing his descent all that time. He yeah, was I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but he came out, and he was pink, and he was breathing, he didn't cry, but most of my babies didn't cry. I mean, the fact that my preemie cried is actually weird because none of my other babies did. Um, but he was totally fine. So, and then it was just really sweet to have my family right there 
you know, my kids all came in right afterwards. They were supposed to be going to bed, but who can go to sleep when something like that's going on in your house? So, yeah, that's kind of the gist of my story. And at that point, I had been trying to have a home birth for over 10 years. And it's like, okay, I can finally say I did it. You finally got your home birth. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah, I got the proven score. Yeah, (laughs) well, that's exciting. You know, um, there's a lot to be said about that. ACOG's current guidelines on vaginal birth after cesarean, it's ACOG Bulletin 184, and we talk a lot about that in our classes, our in-person and online classes now. They actually say that they list a few things that may be contraindications to VBAC, but then at the end they preface it and say that it's really up to the parent and her provider about what they should what they should do moving forward for the birth. So they call it a preference sensitive decision. And one thing that Bronwyn yeah. said at the beginning of her story that really kind of stuck with me or, or reminded me of that, I suppose, is when she said, you know, the classical scar, it doesn't go all the way up her tummy like classical scars used to, but when they put classical scar on the upper port, then you, could, you would classify her classical scar the same way as you would any other classical scar. And that's why it really excites me that ACOG says, you know, it, the VBAC is a preference sensitive decision and things that might be a contraindication for one would not necessarily apply to all women and so so I love that and I love that Bronwyn um, is a huge advocate for special scars. If you want to know more about special scars and if you have a special scar, go ahead and look up Bronwyn's special scars webpage is specialscars.org and go and find on Facebook there's a group or there's a page called Special Scars, Special Hope, right? Yeah. Special Scars, Special Hope. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Special Scars, Special Hope, and then like that page and then message Bronwyn. Say, hey Bronwyn, I heard your story on the VBAC link. Can I be added to the Special Scars group, guys? This group is a well, and I have to tell you, it it's a we, we're it's run by a board. I'm the executive director, so um, I'm not actually the person who answers the messages. It will be two lovely ladies. It's either Christy or it's Felicia, and they are very helpful, very Perfect. knowledgeable. And uh, yep, yep. And that group is for women yep. with you special scars only. So it's very private. It's closed off, and you will find a great big warm hug and loving support there from women who totally get it. So go ahead and join that group. Look on her website. She talked about stats and figures and things like that. They're all on the specialscars.org website. I'm going to drop the links to those in our show notes. And as always, you can let Megan or I know if you have any questions. Bronwyn, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was quite the journey. Every one of your stories is just so <laughs> different. And, and I love it. I love, how, I love that you got the exact birth that you wanted in the end. And I love that your preemie baby is is grown and so full of life now and it's just it's just such an incredible story thank you so much for sharing yeah thank thanks you. for letting me tell it yeah of course would you like to be a guest on the podcast submit the form on our website the vbacklink.com share 
For more information on all things VBAC, including our VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and our bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. We are excited for you to start your journey of learning and discovery with us. Thank you.